Thank you, Pastor Brenda, for those prayers. And good morning, church. It's great to be with you all today. Welcome to those online as well. I'm excited about today um, because we start a new series called The Jesus Way. And I've been looking forward to this series. Today, we talk about growing in faith. But really, this series is an application point to the series we did in the spring and if you were here in the spring, you know this image, and I want us to focus in on the image on the right. See, God created, and it was good. Heaven and earth overlapped until sin and the fall pulled heaven and earth apart, and God has been working at that reunification of heaven and earth ever since. And so this is a series about what does that reunification look like? And we look to Jesus as one who demonstrated how to bring heaven to earth and invites us in to that process. So I'm looking forward to it. Why do we look at Jesus, right? He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He is God and he is man. And I love how N.T. Wright says it. He says, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human... Look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what grief is, look at Jesus. And go on looking until you're not just a spectator, but you're actually part of the drama, which has him as the central character. And that's what we want to do during this series, is invite you in to looking at Jesus as the central character of bringing kingdom to earth. And how do we do that? We're going to be looking at all sorts of different things. How do we love enemies? How do we deal with things when we're offended? How do we do unity well in the church? And so I'm looking forward to it. And today we talk about how do we grow in faith. So to start with, um, let's talk about what faith is not. Um, faith is not a leap in the dark. And these are all probably things that I was told at various points in my journey that faith is, but I'm going to say that faith is not a leap in the dark. Sometimes it meant this blind faith that you had to check your intellect or your experience um, at the door and just take this blind leap. It's not just a positive mindset that makes us happy, right? It's not this positive mindset that makes us passive and just, oh yeah, things are going to be okay. It, it's not about cliches, right? Faith is not the opposite of works. It's not faith or work, but faith and works. And so as we live out our call, we're doing faith and work together. And finally, faith is not certainty. Faith is not certainty. See, if faith is certainty, then it doesn't give us permission to ask questions. If faith is certainty, then doubts have to be avoided. For those of you that maybe came to faith as a child, um, chances are your faith has grown and developed and shaped. As I was a child, it was almost like what was communicated to me was these beliefs that you have now, those are what you have to hold on to. And I was told that we had to have childlike faith. Has anybody been told that? So I was digging into that term, childlike faith. You can't actually find it in Scripture, right? But it comes from this and other passages in the other Gospels that are the same story. And this is Jesus, and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So faith isn't even mentioned in these verses, but Jesus is talking about a posture of the heart to enter the kingdom, and he looks at children who were not sort of exalted in the culture like we probably are doing today. They weren't invaluable, but our lives weren't centered around them. And so there's this humility that Jesus is talking about. Come into the kingdom with humility. Come into the kingdom with a humble heart. Be open to what God is going to do. Now, people will often walk away from their faith because maybe they're believing something that really isn't what God's heart is anyway. And I was, um, you know, early on in my faith, I was given things, um, I would say misconceptions about God or the Bible, and I would hear something and it didn't resonate. It was challenging my view. And I, and I love this analogy that I had heard back then. It's like if my backpack here is my faith, um, then something would come up that would challenge it, and I would put that rock in, in the backpack and go, okay, I'll, I'll get to that issue at some point. I, I'm not sure if I have time now. I, I'm not sure if I can get to it. Another issue or a belief would come up, and it would be added to the backpack, and I'm not really sure how to answer that question, but I, I'm going to you know, just put it away for now. A difficult experience might come up, and how... Does God work with me in that? Maybe a cliche that you've held on to as gospel truth, and all of a sudden it's not working. And what I have seen happen so many times is so many rocks get in here that it's just too heavy to carry anymore, and the faith falls apart. My encouragement today is that this is a safe place, a safe community, a safe gathering that we can invite and we can welcome questions. When I went to college, I was putting lots of rocks into my backpack, views that were challenging the ones that I had grown up with. I grew up in a pretty conservative, evangelical environment, and it was seven-day creation is how we're supposed to interpret the Bible. And I go to college, and it's like, well, one, a lot of people didn't believe that, and two, these people seem to love God, right? And they're figuring it out. Women in ministry speaking in tongues, LGBTQ inclusion, all of these things where I had started at one point and I began to be challenged to look deeper by thoughtful, reflective believers that exhibited the fruit of the Spirit in God's presence. And early on, it allowed me and it forced me to deal with these things without the backpack becoming too heavy and breaking My version of faith was challenged, and something had to give. Either I had to address these things, find enough answers, or I would walk away. Now, in the first 1,300 years of kind of Christianity, mystery and unknowing was a part of what faith was about. Really, since enlightenment, that mystery part for for a lot of believers around the world has been pushed aside, and certainty sometimes has engaged that idea of faith, but Faith is really not uh, compatible with certainty. And so there's a challenge that's created. I like how Richard Rohr says it. He says, you don't move to the next level of faith without going through a necessary period of darkness. 
when you never had that in your background and it's all about building this coherent, consistent system where you actually love your understanding of faith, this is not the love of God anymore. This is an idol of certitude. And I think sometimes we can love our idea of faith or we can love our faith more than we love Jesus. So what is faith? In Greek, it's this word pistis. And I think the best translation of that word is trust. Trust. Trust in a relationship. Putting your trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Aligning yourself to him, trusting him and growing in him. Henry Nouwen says it this way. He says, when Jesus talks about faith, he means, first of all, to trust unreservedly that you are loved so that you can abandon every false way of obtaining love. And that goes key to our identity as followers of Jesus is hearing, not just hearing that we are loved, but believing it in our hearts, in our minds, and trusting in it. Now, when we're going through challenges and questions and doubts and difficult experiences, they're really kind of wilderness experiences. And St. John of the Cross talks about this as a dark night of the soul, when the way we were relating to God, the way we were experiencing God, now is not the same. God feels removed. He feels distant. We might be doing the same things like coming to church or reading our Bible, but all of a sudden we're in this place where God is not with us in the same way. These dark nights, I would say, are wildernesses. They're the place that our faith can be challenged the most. It's also the place where our faith can grow the most. I listened to a talk by Barbara Brown Taylor, and she's a pastor, a professor uh, in the U.S., and she relays a story that she gives about a school field trip to the wilderness, and one of the teachers was kind of comforting the parents, telling them that they're not going to be in any real danger. They will be safe. And a parent responded uh, with this statement. She said, well, if there isn't any real danger, it wasn't a real wilderness. Because in a real wilderness, there has to be something that can kill you. She makes the distinction between a wilderness and going to the park, right? And I've been in wildernesses, and certainly there were things that could kill me, but she uses this as a metaphor for our faith. If you are in a wilderness, and that might have been stirred up by questions, that might have been stirred up by life circumstances, you're in a place where your faith could be very fragile. What was once so secure maybe is no longer secure. COVID. The illness, the lockdown, the quarantine is a wilderness. Addiction, a wilderness. Relationships breaking down, a wilderness. Being hurt by the church, a wilderness. Cancer, a wilderness. Unresolved health issues, a wilderness. Doubts, questions, a wilderness. About six years ago, I was preaching here, and in the midst of that season, praying desperately for God to bring healing to a family member. And we were working through every possible way to to bring healing, to obtain healing. And right after I had preached on faith, 
I am making my way back to the front row. And God, I think, communicates in a lot of different ways, nudges of the heart, um, brings thoughts to mind. Um, but this was a very sort of, um, not quite an audible voice, but it was definitive words impressed upon my heart. And this is what I believe God was saying to me. He said, if I do not heal this person in the way that you want, will you still trust me? And that was the question. That was the wilderness. God, you better heal in the way that I want, was really the posture of my heart. And he confronted me with that, but also was giving me hope that there could be a different way forward than I had imagined. See, anything that shows how fragile, how breakable, how little control you have is a wilderness. Wilderness is not an optional part of the human experience. It's called life. And eventually everybody will reach a place where what they have is not enough. Questions you might ponder in the wilderness, is this a test? Is God disciplining me? Is this a refiner's fire? Did I make a mistake? And you might have well-meaning people in your lives telling you why you're in that wilderness, giving their advice. And this is one of the questions that we'll journey through in the wilderness and getting resolution to this and what it means. Sometimes we obtain that and sometimes we don't. Now, if faith is trust, wouldn't we embrace circumstances and situations that would increase our trust? I heard this quote, and it rung true for me. It said, mountaintops inspire us, but valleys mature us. And I think in my heart, I would love just to be from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop. But of course, life does not go that way. I'm sure most of us would love to avoid the valleys, and yet here we are. If I were to ask you what has helped you grow more in your faith, you probably wouldn't say a conference you went to or a sermon that you heard um, or you know, some type of study that you did. You would probably say a valley-type experience where it was all laid bare. These painful experiences and questions grow us because our current faith is no longer adequate. It's not robust enough to walk us through the next phase. Whatever that might be, we feel helpless. We have a chance to turn to God, but we can also turn away from God. So it is risky. It is dangerous. But it's also a huge and incredible opportunity to go deeper in our faith, where the simple answers no longer are adequate. The most famous wilderness story in the Bible is with Jesus going into the wilderness. Let's look at Luke 4, 1 to 13. Jesus, full of the Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. I love that understatement. (laughs) The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. 
The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all of their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. See, Jesus did not avoid the wilderness. In fact, the Spirit led him into the wilderness. Jesus does not try to exit the wilderness before its time. What was the wilderness for Jesus? Of course, he was hungry. But I think there's a few things that were particularly that the devil was going after. First, identity. He says twice, if you are the son of God. Now, what's significant about the timing of this is this is just after Jesus' baptism, where when he's being baptized, the father says what? This is my son, whom I am well pleased. He's reaffirmed with that identity from the father, and Satan goes after it. Maybe you struggle with your identity in God. Maybe you struggle with hearing those words that you are God's beloved. Maybe Satan would love for you to question that. Does God love me right now in the middle of this mess, or is God waiting to love me when I figured it all out, when my life is back on track? Friends, let me tell you, God is not waiting to love you until you get things sorted out. He loves you right here and right now. What else was a wilderness for Jesus? His provision, his food, of course. He could have made right, bread out of rocks. What would have been the problem with that? I probably would have if I were him, right? But it is a question, I think, of power, not just provision. Would he use his power to exit the wilderness? Would he be able to finish his mission without going to the cross? Was there a faster way he could get this done? Satan was offering him so much, so soon, so fast. It would have been easy to justify it as a more effective way, a quicker way to fulfill his mission. But would he trust in God's timing? Would he trust in the path? He could have commanded the angels to keep him safe, to give him control over all the kingdoms of the earth, which would have included that desert that he was in. But he turned all of those protections down and decided to go hungry, making himself empty enough, humble enough for whatever was next, which was, in fact, his ministry. He learned and grew in his trust of God, of God's sovereignty, his power, his protection. Paul says it this way in Philippians 2.7, he, meaning Jesus, emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. 
See, his trust had grown in the wilderness. His faith had grown in the wilderness. And here's the thing. (laughs) He doesn't protect any of us from wilderness experiences. He didn't keep the disciples from wilderness experiences, whether it was the feeding of the 5,000, and he's like, what are you going to do, right? Or on the storm, right, on the boat where Jesus is peacefully sleeping and they are fearing for their safety. Or that day in the garden where the soldiers come and eventually the disciples scatter. He doesn't protect them from these faith-altering experiences. He actually leads them into it. See, the disciples had to learn to let go of their control, let go of what they think the Messiah should have done or how he should have done it. They had to empty themselves, and that happens. Because when we empty ourselves, something else can emerge, something else can fill it, It creates room to grow. They had to learn to trust Jesus. They had to learn to let go of their way and grab hold to how Jesus was going to do it. The wilderness is dangerous, but know that God is with you in the wilderness. Jesus says the way of finding life is connected with a losing of it. You had a faith before your wilderness experience. You had a faith in something. Perhaps it was you had faith that something like this would never happen to me. Or you had a faith that because you were a good follower of Jesus, there has to be a better plan than the one that is before you. Jesus knows all about your faith. But he also knows that the kind of faith that questions, that presses in, that empties itself, provides space for a deeper, more robust healthier faith. In Matthew 16, 25, it says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. He could have said it also like this. For those who tried to make their faith secure, they'll lose it. But those who lose their faith will keep it. The focus is the trust on who Jesus is. A recap to the story of praying for the family member. Jesus did not, in fact, heal the way I wanted him to heal. But he did heal in a way that I had not imagined. And some wonderful things beyond what I could imagine have happened instead. And I'm grateful. It challenged my faith. It stretched my faith but it provided an opportunity for me to empty myself of my own resources, of my own skills, of my own ideas of how God might work. I don't know what all of your wilderness is about. Jesus does. And this is my encouragement for you in the wilderness. Don't ignore it. Don't be in denial about it. If you're putting rocks into your backpack, share those rocks with somebody a friend, somebody in life group, a pastor, a counselor, what questions are emerging? What circumstances are stretching you? I had a mentor share this phrase with me once. You can be safe or brave. You can't be both. 
The wilderness is not a safe place. Pressing into these things, these questions, these circumstances requires courage. Depend on Jesus for that courage. And finally, hold on to Jesus. I would say hold on to Jesus and not necessarily your faith. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Hold on to him. Seek answers. Seek help. Read books that are maybe from a different tradition than the one you grew up with. Share the wrestlings of your faith. Allow God to fill you as you empty yourself. N.T. Wright has this book, and I have not read the whole book, but I, I was reading the summary, but the title is what I like the most, and you can't necessarily see it from where you are, but it says, Small Faith, Great God. See, the point is about who God is. That's the most important part of our faith. God can do so much with just tiny bits of faith. So get to know Jesus better. Get to know Jesus better. Whether it's in this series, whether it's in community, whether it's in life group, whether it's in devotional time, whether it's in nature. Get to know him better. Because Jesus does not leave you in the wilderness. He does not leave you in the valley. He, in fact, goes with you into those places. What I want to do um, for our response time is there are four stations of rocks around the room, two up here and two by the doors with various uh, pens on there. And my encouragement to you is to pick up one of those rocks and to write something on it. Maybe it's a question, maybe it's a fear, maybe it's a doubt, a circumstance. Maybe it's a person. And we can go to the next slide. It lists the instructions there. That you write that on one of the rocks. Something for you right now that is a growth opportunity for your faith. Some area that you do not have control over. To write it down on one of those rocks and then to bring it up here and to leave it with Jesus. And my prayer is that each one of us today will will take a rock. Maybe we've got a lot of rocks, and and you could do more than one rock in your backpack. And I would encourage you to bring them to Jesus. He wants to know where you're at. He wants to let you know that you are with him and that we can bring these things to him. And so my encouragement is to bring those things in your life to him today by writing them down on those rocks and bringing them forward. The band will play. Um, I'll also invite our prayer ministers up here as well. Um, We don't go through these questions, these challenges alone. So we'll have prayer ministers up here. Um, I'll be up here. Um, Let's spend some time with God, church. God, we We just come before you today. You are a good God. And Jesus, you lived your life in a way that we can look to, that we can be inspired by, that you desire to transform us, God, from the inside out. And we sometimes get to places where the questions, the challenges, the struggles um, are big. And we're not sure how to get through it but you are with us in this, God. And I pray today that this is a safe place and and maybe these are questions that we've buried deep and we're afraid to to bring them back out because we don't know what will happen. God, but you will be in that question. You will be in that circumstance. You'll be in that relationship. And so, God, I pray for your spirit just to be at work today. 
Jesus, do a work amongst us in your name. Amen.